Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit, we may be truly wise and ever enjoy your consolations. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Fascinating story we just heard Pastor Mike read. It's one that sorts of, sort of seems to pit Mary versus Judas. One author interpreted the story this way. In this encounter with Jesus, Mary lavishes upon him a costly gift, and in doing so, she draws, to him sac draws attention to his upcoming sacrificial act. John puts this narrative in place by its occurring six days before the Passover, so we know the crucifixion is coming soon. Martha is preparing and serving the meal, and her sister, who we've seen, loves to celebrate the presence of Jesus in previous passages. In this one, takes something very costly, very, very costly in her time, a pound of very expensive ointment, and anoints, anoints his feet. This oil could have cost as much as a year's worth of wages for a day laborer. Judas says what many around the table might be thinking. Why this waste? Why this extravagance? His suggestion is that the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor, which seems could be plausible, even a better action. Yet by placing this objection on the lips of the one who was about to betray him and indicating that Judas' motivation was theft, their father discredits the act and raises objections. Jesus urges Judas to let Mary be and asserts that they will always have the poor with them. Jesus reveals the anointment was intended for the day of his burial, another illusion in the gospel that it's close at hand. An interactive devotion where she gives Jesus a very precious gift, Mary is imitating life's journey to give his journey to give his very life on the cross. So Mary is proceeding with an act of lavish spirituality. This text in John is a study of contrasts, highlighting two characters who seem to have utterly different approaches to discipleship. One person is lavish with her gifts. The other is very critical. One expresses her devotion openly, earnestly. The other is guarded and treacherous. One shows love for Jesus. In John's interpretation, the other is betraying Jesus. This happens right in front of the disciples, most of whom themselves had done something very lavish, Judas included, actually. They'd given up their livelihoods to follow Jesus of Nazareth. They'd also been with Jesus when the widow put her last penny in the offering plate. But Judas was a different mind. Jesus defends Mary. How might we interpret this lavish discipleship? It would mean, would it mean abandoning our own livelihoods for one thing? Our careers and our ability to earn our living are placed totally at the feet of Jesus. There's nothing more lavish than surrendering our lives completely to God. But is the problem really with what Mary or Judas are suggesting here? If we look throughout the Bible, after all, there are examples of those who would agree with either approach. For example, in 1 Kings, we have a description of the second temple after the temple was rebuilt, known as Zerubbabel's temple. We're, told, we're given a long description in 1 Kings, and when I looked at this description, I could almost hear the voice of, I think it was Robin Leach, that narrated lifestyles of the rich and famous, talking about the multiple levels of this temple, how it had multiple stories with winding staircases, all sorts of carved cherubim and fruits, pomegranates and leaves, and the entire building was overlaid with gold. 
truly the rich and famous being attributed to both donating to it and showing the glory of God. This sort of lavishness of giving all one has and celebrating God in a very extravagant, opulent way can actually be relative. You can have a temple like the Cerubbabel Temple, or you can have something more common. We mentioned earlier the widow's mite. The disciples saw when the widow put her small coins in the offering, and maybe these were pittance, pennies, or almost worthless, but they represented everything that widow had. She was truly an example of being lavish and celebrating the presence of God in her life. But there's a point, too, to be made for not spending money on things that just are showy or material, but saving the money and giving it to those who really need it. We might be tempted to dismiss Judas's suggestion just, well, because it is Judas. The writer of John certainly is ready to do so, criticizing Judas' motives rather than looking at what Judas is actually suggesting. But let's face it, what's that saying? Even a broken clock is right twice a day? No matter how broken Judas might have been, no matter what his motivation was, others in the Bible clearly agree with Judas. The Old Testament starts the tradition of caring for widows, poor, and immigrants in one's country, making sure that everybody has something and people don't go without. John the Baptist advocated giving up spare clothes to those who needed them. The early disciples in the book of Acts are described as pooling all their resources so that everybody had enough and then giving great large, large sums of money to the poor, even selling their homes if that's what it took. And in the book of James, we hear all about faith not being real unless it's also backed up by works, by letting our actions and presumably our walls speak for who we really owe allegiance to. And of course, in the ministry of Jesus himself, we hear time and again about taking care of those who need things. And we see the examples of Jesus healing the sick, regardless of their social status, of encouraging the disciples to live without, to live on the road and take only what they absolutely need on their backs. And so when he's asked by, Jesus, by Judas why this money should be spent in the way that it was, lavishing this opulent treasure upon Jesus, Jesus does what he often does in the scripture, doesn't give the answer that the person asking is looking for but gives a surprising answer. I'd say Jesus' answer indicates that the problem is not with either approach, but with the reasons behind. The most glaring is of Judas, because, because it was Judas and because of writings such as the one in John, we assume maybe he was looking for self-righteousness, or perhaps he was looking for a way to criticize Mary to make himself look more important. It might've been coming out of a desire to steal money, as John indicates, it might've been Jealousy that Mary was getting attention for doing this nice thing for Jesus. If we're self-congratulatory in our giving, we miss the point. Sometimes people do give for the wrong reasons. And although Judas didn't flat out accuse Mary of this, it could have been what was on his mind. We've known people who seem to give sometimes just for the sake of having their name on a charity or for the sake of having others think that they're a very generous person. Worse yet, sometimes we know people who brag and brag about how much they give, and then you find out later from a relative or maybe somebody sharing more than they should that that person really didn't give nearly as much as they let on that they did. Now, there is an argument for setting a good example. Some celebrities give to charity quite visibly because they think their fans will then do the same, and sometimes that works. But more generally, in the Bible especially, we're encouraged to give secretively, more out of giving 
to others by listening to what they need and reaching out, giving them what they actually need instead of what we think they should have, and giving what God wants us to share, sometimes even when it's a challenge to us to share that. We're encouraged to let our giving be more Christ-centered. Mary's extravagance can also be fatal. Jesus prepares her motivation, but praises her motivation, but whether we like him or not, Judas' point can be taken. In a parallel to what was mentioned earlier, why do we build these beautiful structures or wear certain clothes or glorify God in a certain way? Sometimes we look at churches that are so extravagant, we wonder if that was really a good use of the money. Is it being done thoughtlessly just for attention, just to draw in more guests and win more members? If that's the reason that we decorate our temples or that we wear choir robes or choose to do other things on a Sunday morning or other days of the week, just for attention or for credibility, then it becomes an empty showiness and our effort could be put to a better spirit. But I would point out, meeting physical, people's physical needs are a great way to usher in God's love, to bring in the kingdom. But not everybody has a need for physical things. In the United States, I'll, I'll, almost the majority of us, even if we're considered poverty level in the United States compared to the bunch of the rest of the world, we can still get enough food every day. We still have clothes on our back and there's shelter for those who seek it. So do we really have people who that's the only way they can be reached? We have many people who never give a thought to what they need to eat, to what they're going to sleep in that night or where they're going to be. Some people just aren't moved by physical gifts or have no need for them. But many people are moved by inspiration, great architecture, such as the ceiling by Michelangelo I put up here. Music, art, how many of us are inspired by the great songs that we sing here every day? And that's because somebody took time to sit down, maybe educate themselves, maybe go to music school, listen to other artists, and spend that time learning about music in a way that they can create songs that inspire us. For some people, it's architecture. I have a friend who is an architect and she loves to travel to different churches and spends much of her time in worship, she admits, analyzing the building and the structure and what went into putting it together, what the historic reasons behind it were, what the symbolism is. And she's moved to feel God in her life that way. We sometimes need beautiful, grand things, be it music or art or architecture, or even sometimes clothing and the way people present their own devotion to God to help others feel God's presence, to understand God's grandeur and glory, or to be able to celebrate it. Sometimes our best gifts are of celebrating God, or through crafting art, or whatever it is that allows us to show our creativity. Well, sometimes the things that best show God's love are the beautiful things. So how do we handle this tension between giving to others and spending some time or some effort on making things beautiful for ourselves and others? It's always a challenge to find a balance, isn't it? One of my favorite complaints about annual conference a few years ago, that's the annual meeting there where all of your clergy and members from each church go to vote on rules and regulations for the conference for the next year or ongoing. One of my favorite complaints about that was how many days it took. It used to be we'd go even start Wednesday night with the clergy meeting and go all the way until Sunday afternoon with the ordination. And my complaint was one, we usually stayed at a very expensive hotel. I thought surely the conference's money could be used better that way. Had to eat the catered food from the hotel. 
Also, because it took four or five days, I felt like it excluded people who worked during the week, it excluded people who didn't have the luxury of taking four or five days off. So our lay members tended to be a very limited set. So I complained about these things year after year, comfort should be shorter. Once we got to where we had the beginnings of, of being able to conference call and broadcast things, why can't we invite some people just to come in that way rather than have to come down in person for five days? Well, along comes COVID. And suddenly annual conference couldn't be held the way it had been. And so in 2020 and again in 2021, we just had a two-day annual conference held exclusively online and via Zoom. And so that was, I was like, I got my wish, I guess. And you find out sometimes that getting your wish isn't exactly what you'd hoped to be. Although I was relieved by the much shorter sessions and found I at least paid better attention during them, you didn't get to have the wonderful in-person tactical worship that sometimes is offered at conference. You knew that all of your, your colleagues that you'd seen over the years were there at conference because their names were somewhere in tiny print on a long list of who was checked into the meeting. But you couldn't see them or talk to them face to face. And it's hard to think of everybody you want to greet or have catch up with if it's just a long list you have to scroll through and you're just trying to pick out a name or two. It just wasn't the same. Well, this year we had the clergy gathering in person for the first time in two years. And this is a meeting where all the clergy get together face to face, just the clergy to talk and learn and discuss and share worship together. And that was another annual meeting I'd always been kind of salty about. Truth be told, Michael Bryant and I were kind of guilty of figuring out who had to be here and who had to go. So at least one of us could get out of it. <laughs> Pretty bad, huh? <laughs> But uh, this year it was in person for the first time in a couple of years. So Michael and I both went, I actually did go. And it was such a refreshing change I discovered after all, after I say all those years, just all those months, two years, to see random clergy people that I might not even think of throughout the year, but oh yeah, there's so-and-so, I wonder how he's doing. And I could go up to him or her and ask. It was a chance to share stories, eat meals together, and capture that energy that you feel when you're together in worship with people you know, who enjoy the same songs and think a lot the same way you do. And this isn't a speech against diversity. Diversity is wonderful too. And there was diversity there as well. I met some new colleagues who approach things very differently than I do, and that was fun. It was just a lot to be said for even the extravagance of being together for a couple of days. So I guess the truth is that we just need to find balance between celebrating extravagantly, but thinking of those around us. I like the way annual conference is going to be doing it this year. It's still only going to be two days, and it's still going to be offered via Zoom. But it's a hybrid conference, so we can also go in person if we want. Given my experience at, at clergy gathering, and also that I know people are going to be commissioned at the ordination service, I'm going to be making a point of being there in person this year. But the conference also gives, and you've seen some slides and maybe seen some information in the weekly update that there is an annual conference mission that we do every year. This year, it's going to be one that has been on the website and that we really want to encourage you to give to as it is every year. And so I would, I would, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Your challenge is to go look it up and see what it is that way. It'll be in the weekly update. You'll see it on slides. I wish I could give a simple answer to how you find that balance to how you know when to, when it's time to give and when it's time to take time to breathe, enjoy beauty or exude it. But let's face it. If there was a simple answer, my job would be too easy. And you all probably wouldn't even need to be sitting here. 
It's part of our mission in life is to work that out for ourselves, find our own gifts and graces. Some of us are, as I mentioned, are inspired by art and beauty. Others are inspired and feel most complete, more giving and sharing. I think for most of us, it's a little bit of both. Whatever our needs are, whatever the needs are around us, may we always be inspired to fill them in the best way possible. Whether they be simple gifts and graces or opulent celebrations, may God always be at the center of our celebrations and our sharing. Amen.